Hey, Down Bitches, we are back on tour and we loved seeing your beautiful faces in New Orleans, Pittsburgh, and St. Louis. And we wanted to remind you that tickets are still available for San Francisco and Phoenix. So come join the nonsense that we put out on stage. We would love to see you. I thought you were going to say, so come to the cabaret. Visit IThinkNotPod.com for tickets. We will see you in Phoenix and San Francisco for squeezes and hugs and open mouth kisses. I don't know about that last part. Okay, well, have you been practicing your swamp talk? No. I'm about to take you to my hometown, and I already have our dinner reservations. Do you really? I sure do. We're going with my cousin, Blukey. We're going to hang out with some gators, and we're going to talk some swampy yep. shit. Y'all are going to do it! <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> Hello, Yellen Marsh. I'm very excited for you to see the world that I come from. And you're going to see my mom. You're going to meet some of my family. Wait till you meet my sister. She looks just like me. I just like you with a set of tits. Hi, everyone, (laughs) and welcome to I Think Not, the podcast where Joey Taranto and I just plan our vacations. Just kidding. (laughs) The podcast where Joey and I recap all of your favorite TV shows. And for the month of June? You know, this is the Patreon, right? No, it's not. Wonderland Murders is the I'm thinking that we're doing American Detective. Wow. Okay. But you noted... Wonderland I noted Murders, Wonderland right? Murders, yes. Welcome to the podcast where Joey and I know exactly what we're doing at all times. We're on the regular feed, my love. Okay, sorry. <laughs> my bad. Yeah, no, we're on the regular feed. And maybe people are just tuning in for the first time, which, wow, are you lost. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. However, we do have a Patreon where you can listen to more of us. <laughs> Tell them about it, Yellen. On that feed, we are currently covering American Detective and that silver Saucy, side-eye, shade-giving Joe Kenda. Yeah. It's a blast. He is the Archie Bunker of true crime. All in the family forward show way ahead of its time. Yes, and also problematic in some ways, too, but also... Was it? And you knew what you wanted! There was a whole transphobia episode. And gay. I mean, I think they talked about some shit all in the family. They did. We should do a podcast about all in the family. We need one no, more project. We we'll start that on the Patreon, but you can go there and there's over a hundred episodes ready there for you to download and binge for your summer fun. Joey's favorite show, I almost got away with it. Why do you love that show so much? The reenactments it's are the amazing. Reenactments. They're yeah. amazing, but people get so close. They really do. They try real, real hard. Yeah. But you know what? None of them get away with it. <laughs> Yeah. They also have hot reenactment actors on there. Anyway, for the month of June, we are covering Wonderland Murders, and it's all because of our Christopher. My little Chrissy Poo Poo. Anything else to tell our regular feed before we jump in, Joseph? Just that I love you. That's all. We are here with Wonderland Murders Season 2, Episode 2, Once an Animal. A chilling 911 call. We have a very severe beating going on on my street. A mother desperate for closure. These bullets don't have a name. It's about a brutal homicide as you can get. And a manhunt that spans two states and two decades. I couldn't get on my computer fast enough. Lo and behold, there was a choir singing in the background. To bring down one elusive fugitive. A comment like that will send chills down your spine. When I thought, 
good lord, the monster had come to life. I'm going to start the show by saying, you know, true crime world is dark. This is a dark episode, okay? So I'm going to start out with what I love about the years that we cover, the music, okay? okay? Because we are on March 17th, 2006, and there was some really good music this year. Hit me with it. So Sick by Neo was like number one. Do you know that song? No. I'm so sick of love songs, so tired of tears, so done with wishing you were still here. It's great. Yeah, I know that song, but it's not like in the front of my... Did he come out? Isn't Neo gay? I don't know. But remember when he was the Tin Man on The Wiz Live? He's gay. Okay. And... (laughs) He's gay. I'm sorry. (laughs) And he's made of tin. He's gay. He's gay. (laughs) Also, Check On It by Beyonce. Unwritten by Natasha Bedingfield. Now, listen. All of this is nice until they tell us it's St. Patrick's Day. And my lord, St. Patty's in New York City is one giant pool of amateur vomit. The one day a year where everyone all of a sudden has a little Irish in them. And then if you don't, if you get drunk enough, chances are you can get a little Irish in you. (laughs) You, It is what we call a joke over here (laughs) at I Think Not for the Irish St. Patrick's Day. We're talking about tingling for those of you who don't know how to read between the lines. Now I'm a pirate. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I would also like to point out, not to rain on anyone's parade. First of all, I don't know where the green came from because St. Patrick's color that he is associated with is blue. He historically wore blue. Also, he was English. Oh. Not Irish. He did like his work in Ireland. Also, pinching hurts. Yes. Who thought up that punishment for not wearing a certain color? And also, it's not St. Patty's Day. It's not St. Patty's Day. Uh Uh-huh. You've had it. I really have. On behalf of the Irish people, Ellen has had it for them. It is a leprechaun madness here. (laughs) I don't even think the Irish appreciate it. I think they're mad. 35-year-old Eileen Thompson had just tried her luck at video poker at a bar in Portland, Oregon, and is now on her way home in the city's northeast section. She was walking towards home, and a guy started chatting her up. Oh, damn, didn't mean to scare you there, baby. What's your name? We hear about 35-year-old Eileen Thompson, who's headed home from a bar in the northeast section of Portland, Oregon. And she was out at a bar playing video poker. So great. The two things I hate most in the world, St. Patty's Day Uh and gambling. Wonderful. But she was on her way home. Now, we see this woman on her way home, and the reenactment actress seems very aware of her surroundings, right? She's looking over her shoulder, which, good for you. Also, isn't it weird that we can't even walk without being scared (sighs) or worried? I know. More on that later. I feel a monologue coming. I don't know what it is, but for those of you who hate my monologues, I'll give you a little fast forward. Yeah, trigger warning. But yeah, she was walking home and we can't even walk at night by ourselves. No, because a guy strikes up a conversation with Eilina, but the conversation is one-sided because she's like, I don't want to talk to a stranger at night on the street when I'm home alone alone. You know, that's a real thing. I'm actually at night when I'm walking behind women, I am acutely aware of that. I'm a big dude. I mean, the minute I open my mouth and I'm like, excuse me, they're like, oh, this queen is fine. You know what? I think you're sketchy. I think everyone is sketchy. Also, why are you talking to me? Don't talk to women. No. Don't talk to people you don't know. 
Don't strike up a conversation well, with me. Well, now this is something I could get behind. Yeah. Don't talk to people you don't know, especially on a plane, especially in a restaurant, yeah. at a bar. I don't want to talk you to guys, you. You guys, if you see Joey at Obsessed Fest, don't go up no, to him. No, please do. But no, it's true. I would think you're sketchy. I would cross the street. Of I don't give a shit. Also, for the record, I don't mean DBs. You know, I was in my neighborhood two days ago and someone stopped me and said, I'm a fan of your podcast. Stop and we it. hugged. It was awesome. Oh, she was I lovely. I love that. I, now people are going to be scared of you when they see you on no, the street. No, don't be. I love it. I think she instantly didn't feel comfortable with this person. He was asking strange questions and trying to be really personable with her. I know you. You're from the island. No, you don't know me, and I'm not from the island. Why are you lying to me? She knew right away that this was not going to happen, and she wanted to distance herself from this guy. Detective Molly Dahl is here, and she kind of explains the scenario about what happened that night. And basically, when she didn't respond to his advances, he pulled out a knife and started stabbing her. Yeah, and according to the detective, Eileen put up a fight, but he then got her to the ground. And when someone does that, it is very hard to defend yourself, especially if they have a fucking knife. But then a dude on a skateboard, thankfully, comes down the street, sees what's happening and says, hey, 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 what are you doing? And guess what, y'all? Eileen is here to tell her story. Yeah, that guy chased the perp away and called 911. Now, oddly enough, for being such a good Samaritan, he left before first responders got there. Obviously, I'm not mad because Eileen is here and her life was probably saved by him. I just found it curious that he would do such a good deed and then not wait. But I mean, who knows? Yeah, he probably was like, look, I can't. The cops take one look at me. Maybe he had a warrant out or something. Maybe he had a warrant. Maybe he had a sick kid at home. It could be a million things. It really doesn't matter because I feel like that's a separate episode. Episode, yeah, but she was probably going to die yeah, if that saved... person hadn't saved yep. her life. And also, Eileen is attacker left behind a shoe. He ran out of his shoe. Literally ran out yeah. of his shoe. And you know what's crazy is, is they said that if Eileen had been stabbed in an inch in either direction, it would have been fatal. Yeah, that is just so, so scary to think about. Now, Detective Molly Dahl, she decides to throw some shade at the homicide unit because she was like a newbie. She had been on the force for like six months and she's like, and no one let me forget it. I was like, we kind of did that on Broadway. We'd be like, you're coming into our house. You know, you got to earn your spot here, which is fine. Don't worry. Molly Dahl is a down bitch. She will earn her spot. So Sergeant Rick Austria, who we saw in the last episode, is back and he put Molly on the case. Now, it was an assault because Eileen survived. Thank goodness. But they wanted to treat this case with the severity of a homicide. So they were very serious about it and they wanted to investigate it like they would investigate a homicide. Can you tell me anything about your attacker? He was maybe in his 30s, black, pretty solid builds. Eileen was able to describe his physical features. Did you get his name perhaps? I remember him calling himself something like Nye or Naji. Detective Molly goes to the hospital. She chats with Eileen, and Eileen gives Detective Molly a description. She said, I was attacked by a black man in his 30s, strong build, and he referred to himself as like Nye or Naji or Nani. I also want to say that in this hospital, they have done a very, very good job with the sheets. Oh. In the hospital. Those were some beautiful sheets. It's really interesting the things that impress you. I love good sheets. Uh-huh. And I love to mess up some good sheets. Yeah, okay. You know I walked saying? right into that You know one. what I'm saying? I do. You know what I'm saying? I love sheets and shoes. Yeah, and we like what we like. And I like breasts 
and vaginas. Yeah, you can't even say that. That's not true. Breasts and vaginas. He went, you don't think I like breasts and vaginas? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, I feel like it's a rite of passage for young women to date at least one gay man. You did that. (sighs) I don't know. I don't know. I think Lola has a crush on a gay boy. Oh, good luck, Lola. He's so sweet. I was like, he sounds gay, my love. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? Mommy, he's so sweet. That's nice. He sounds gay. He sounds gay. He's so sweet. (laughs) And every time she says how nice he is, I was like, that's nice, honey. Don't be surprised if when he's 16, he takes Brian to prom. And not you. Okay, honey? (laughs) When we have a dynamic event like this and people are struggling with each other, we see all sorts of different things left at the scene. It's actually not as uncommon as you might think to have something like a shoe left behind by a perpetrator. We actually have a term for it. It's called Cinderella evidence. State forensic scientist Nikki Vance knows extracting any DNA from the shoe is going to be difficult. Nikki Vance is back! Our favorite forensic scientist. Uh, Yeah, and she says it's actually not uncommon for perps to leave a shoe behind when fleeing a crime scene. I was like, what? Really? Yeah, they call it Cinderella evidence. I was like, what a cute way to describe somebody doing something absolutely vile and then leaving behind evidence. Yeah. What a cute nickname. No cutesy nicknames here. But she does go on to say that, you know, a shoe is a hard piece of evidence to find DNA on. It's not like, you know, a lollipop that someone has been sucking on or, you know, a cucumber they shut up their ass. Because you will get DNA on that. I'm here to confirm it. I'm not going to say why I know. But guess what? A DNA profile was found on the inside of the shoes. Well, it's because they say people wear socks with shoes. Hold up your foot. Oh, you are wearing little socks. I always wear little socks. I never wear socks. I don't have stinky feet. If you see me in sneakers, I'm never wearing socks. Why? I don't know. Lazy? There's a ton of DNA in these. Do you really always wear those little stupid socks? Always. I'm working out at the gym. I'm sweating in them. They slide. I don't have stinky feet. I don't know why. No, but you got a stinky attitude. (laughs) Um, And so (laughs) they checked their database, and that DNA profile matched with DNA from an unsolved murder that occurred in, wait for it, 1994. I just wrote holy shit. And we're in 2007, and not even in Portland. It's in Northern California. And y'all, finally. Finally. All these episodes. We are in your backyard. You old stanky you know how, hippie. Do you know how close San Leandro is to Oakland? No. It's like 20 minutes. Wow. I know San Leandro very well. My high school that I went to was like five minutes from San Leandro. Holy. I know this area very well. Wow. Detective Molly looks this case up, and the man who assaulted Eilina was also responsible for the murder of a teenage girl in San Leandro, California, two years prior. And the sexual assault. Yes. Sexual assault yes, and that too. murder. And who knows how many other attacks this worn down Brillo pad has also been a part of. I'm going to say that 20 times exactly. this episode. For sure. So she called Rick DaCosta. Don't worry. I called him today. He's retired. And so is Molly Dahl. I tried calling them both today. Oh. Anyway. Oh, I, I went in on this case. This is this is not going to end well. And Rick DaCosta worked for the San Leandro PD. He was the lead detective on that case. And he is here And she reads off the report number, and in his head, he's thinking, please let this be the LeBlanc case. Because basically, this was an old case that he agonized over. Yeah. And it has just sort of never left the back of his mind. So as she gives the report, he's like, I can't wait to get off this phone and see if this is the case that I want it to be. Yeah. 
So now we get the details of what happened all those years ago on November 5th, 1994. 15-year-old Evelina LeBlanc was a junior in high school, very smart, very ambitious, knew what she wanted and worked very hard. She did work very hard. She wanted to go to an HBCU and she wanted to go to Spelman. Spelman is one of the two campuses they shot A Different World on. Yeah. And I made a bunch of TikToks about my obsession with A Different World because when I was little, I told people I wanted to go to Hillman. (laughs) I did. And Hillman was actually modeled after Hampton University. But if you ask Debbie Allen, Debbie Allen will say it was mostly modeled after Spelman. But Spelman is an all-girls school. Anyway, I digress. I know way too much about Isn't this. Isn't it so weird that you ended up working with Marissa Tomei? Did you ask her about A Different World? Oh, yeah, a little bit. But it wasn't a good experience for her. Uh... She was only on it for one season. But I also, Debbie Allen taught at a dance academy that I used to go to. One was in Oakland and one was in L.A. And I used to take classes. You know she was the showrunner. I did not know that. She was the showrunner for A Different World, which was a huge deal back then for a woman to be a showrunner for such a big show. Also, Marsha Chatelain and I are going to do a whole podcast on the importance of A Different World. It was such an important show. Yeah, because what's really important is for you to get a fifth job. That's what you need. (laughs) But I don't remember who it was. I think it was my family friend that was like, you know, Hillman's not a real college, right? I was like, I did not. There is a college fair down at the library tomorrow afternoon. Can we go? Yeah, I was planning on it. Cool. Oh, and the football game tonight? Abby's dad can take us. You know, I heard it's supposed to rain in a couple of hours. That is why they made umbrellas. Plus, I'm done with everything. How come I know you're going to say that? Promise me you'll stay in touch. Don't I always? So Evelina gets home from school and asks her mom, Arlene, if she can go to the football game that night. So she says, I'm going to get a ride with my friend's dad. And her mom, Arlene, reluctantly says yes. But later that night, Arlene doesn't hear from Evelina and she gets worried. Now, this football game was in Oakland Mm -hmm. and that will be important later. And I looked it up. It's at this place called Merritt College. I've been there a million times. It's really, really creepy to be exactly where I grew up. So there was a call that came in from an elementary school, Jefferson Elementary School, which was in San Leandro. There was some kind of like pounding sound and an alarm had gone off. Now, this is really upsetting. They found Evelina, this little girl, barely alive. Her clothes were off from the waist down. And the officer's first instinct was to cover her. Yeah. Because she was naked from the waist down and it was raining. And they obviously at that moment didn't know what happened to her, but it looked like some head trauma as she was bleeding from her head. And she was clinging on to life. By the time I got to the scene, one of the pieces of evidence that was located was an umbrella. We surmised that she was actually holding this umbrella as she was walking through the field. There were also two holes going through the umbrella. We believe that she was shot, fell to the ground, and was then dragged by the suspect to that area on the north side of that structure and then sexually assaulted. Apparently the perpetrator shot her twice while she was crossing the field. And once she was down, he drug her behind the school where he sexually assaulted her. And there was DNA left behind and it was implemented into the database. So they, of course, have to break the news to Mama Arlene. And they say that she had been at the wrong place at the wrong time. I know this is absolutely not what they meant at all. I just hate that phrase because it somehow puts some blame on the victim. I know it doesn't. 
It's like she wasn't at the wrong place at the wrong time. Someone did murder, and that is wrong. You know what I mean? I get what you're saying, but I do see it differently when I hear that in the wrong place at the wrong time because you can be in the right place at the right time sometimes. You know what I mean? She was just walking. Yeah, I know, but I I mean, sometimes you do end up like in a situation where you didn't mean to, and it has nothing to do with you, and it's not your fault. It, it, but that sounds like fault is being, if I got you, you. Had, you know what I mean? Yeah. I know that's not what Listen, they mean. Listen, you're entitled I, to your opinion. I'm very triggered by this episode. Anyway. Yeah. So they tell Mama Arlene that Evelyn is going to have to have surgery because she was shot in the head and the bullet was lodged. And at this point, she was on life support. And to watch Mama Arlene talk about this, something that happened all those years ago, mm-hmm. it's it's still so raw yeah, for her. Really. It was very difficult to watch. Yeah. And they eventually have to say the way the bullet was lodged, surgery wasn't going to help. Her organs were already failing and she was not going to make it. And as you said, she's still devastated. So DaCosta goes to ask all of the friends what happened, and they tell him. So they speak with Evelina's best friend, who she went to the game with, and she said, well, we were supposed to leave together, but it started to rain, and around 8.30 p.m., Evelina wanted to go. And her plan was to take the bus home, and no one knew of anyone that Evelina was supposed to meet up with or could have gotten a ride with. Okay, if you don't like my monologues, fast forward. Mm-hmm. Ladies, and this is to the ladies, not to the DBs. I am talking to the women because DBs can be, you know, ladies, gays, and theys, and everybody in between. Now, I am not saying that violence does not happen to men because my dear friend David Keck will tell you otherwise, Surviving Abuse Podcast. But here's something that men don't have. The fear of just existing is not something that you will ever understand. I know it's different being a gay man. I do recognize that. But I mean, just like your sheer body. Women deal with the constant fear that if we are alone, something will happen to us. And I am not blaming those friends at all. But hear me, this is to everyone who is listening. You come together, you leave together. No, you are not going with that dude. No, you are not having another shot. You are drunk enough. No, you are not going to the bathroom alone. I am coming with you. No, you are not going outside for a cigarette. I am coming with you. No, you are not getting a ride from that man. I'm just saying, you drop off your friend, you wait till she's inside the house. That goes for everyone. You see a creepy man talking to a woman you don't know, you go up and you give her a hug and be like, hi, oh my God, we've been looking for you. I'm just saying, if you are not a woman, these are the things we worry about. No, you are not taking a drink from that man. I don't care if it's free. No, thank you. Bye-bye. Those are things that you don't think about. No. Well, I mean, I do now. It's something that I am acutely aware of. Because I will say, you know, I make a lot of gay jokes about myself. But I know that a lot of the time when I'm walking down the street, people aren't looking at me in that way. Like, look at this. You know what I mean? I am not inherently a target. And I know that I walk around with a lot of privilege. It's why I try to show up for people when I can. You know what I mean? And it's so sad because these girls were 15. They're babies. You come together, you leave together. When I heard that girl say she wanted to go home, we didn't want to go home. Okay, honey, take the bus. You know, there's no phone or anything. I'm just saying on a smaller scale of where we are right now, this is a big lesson to teach your sons. Yeah. And because we can raise a new generation where that is the abhorrent behavior 
is the anomaly. Yeah. For rather sure. than being the fucking norm. Yeah. So just like teach your sons now, teach them not to hit on the playground. And teach your daughters to speak up when something makes them feel uncomfortable. Do you know how many times I've felt uncomfortable and I don't say anything? Yeah. I'll just laugh my way out of it or giggle. You know, what's that Margaret Atwood quote? Men are afraid women will laugh at them. Women are afraid men will kill them. Yeah. Because our fears are rooted in survival and men's fears are rooted in their own self-image. Sure. I could, I, I'm going to stop monologuing now. I just, when I heard that, my heart sank a little bit. Yeah. This is a true crime podcast and these are things we can learn. We can learn to be better. I mean, we were raised with stranger danger, but even then, like I was out on my bike with my friends till just about when the sun was coming down, it was time to go inside. Yeah. Yeah. So I get it. Anyway, that just broke my heart. Okay, monologue over. You can come back. So Detective DaCosta retraces Evelina's journey that night from leaving the football game in Oakland to where she was found. 15 miles away in San Leandro. I tried as best I could to put myself in her shoes. So we went back and researched who the bus drivers were that night. And one bus driver remembered a girl fitting Evelina's description being on the bus. So Detective DaCosta wants to retrace her steps to see how she ended up at this elementary school, which was 15 miles away from the football game. And he begins questioning bus drivers in the area. And one bus driver remembers a girl that fit Evelina's description being on the bus. And thank goodness. And he was like, yeah, she got on the bus alone, but she definitely got off with a man. Now, they have a sketch artist who the bus driver gives the description to. And Mama Arlene's like, I don't know who that is. So now, sadly, there was no match in the DNA database, but no one gave up on this case. Truly, not her not her mother. I mean, her mom, she may as well have been a lead detective on here. She did not rest. She was leading the charge. Yeah, and this case gives me hope because Molly Dahl says, It doesn't matter if a homicide's, you know, two hours or 20 years old. There's still a family out there that's grieving that needs that resolution. I love that she said that because that was something I loved about covering all those disappeared cases that nothing is ever really a cold case, that things really can be solved. I agree. Well, sadly, in this moment, there was nothing really left to go on until Detective Molly called and that connection was made between the two incidents. So a week after her assault, Eilina sits down with Detective Molly, who shows her that composite sketch of Evelina's murderer from all those years ago. But unfortunately, that sketch doesn't ring any bells for her. You know, Molly Dahl was like, this is a sketch of a man who raped and killed a little girl in Oakland. And the sketch doesn't jog her memory, but I think it sort of resonated with her because then Eilina did kind of a boots to the ground investigation on her own and started asking people around more questions. Because remember, she was like, how old was that little girl? Felt like she got very like, oh, my gosh, I got out of here and that little girl didn't. Didn't you feel that? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one day, Alina's asking around. She's asking around the neighborhood for a man named Naji or Nani. And Eilina chats with a friend named Danielle, who just got out of jail, and she mentions that name, asks if she knows anyone by that name, you know, Naji or Nani. And Danielle says, yeah, I rode from the jail to the courthouse with a guy named Naji. And immediately, Eilina calls Detective Molly and gives her that information. And Detective Molly is on it. She is on it. She started going through all the records at the jail, at the correction facility that he ended up at. And they found that Najee that was on that bus. His real name was Theo. 
And they wanted to pull records to cross-reference the DNA from that guy. And she was really excited. She's like, I found the guy. She's like high-fiving herself. She's giving herself like cheers, you know, playing We Are the Champions on her fucking little boombox over there. Listen, I think we should high-five ourselves more often. Yeah. You know, I didn't cuss that lady out on the A train. There we go. Small goals. It's little things. It's the little things. Yeah. I didn't curse that man out who wouldn't stop following me for two blocks asking if I care about dogs. Get out of my face. You ain't getting my $20. (laughs) Not even for a dog. No. While Molly waits for the DNA results, she brings Eilina back in, wondering if she can ID Theo as her attacker. Take as much time as you need. I handed her that photo laydown and... She looked at it, and she was intent, and she observed it. And then she looked at me, and she said, He's not here. So then Eilina sees a recent picture of this guy, Theo, and she looks at the picture, and she's like, That's not him. No, and also the DNA didn't match. So at that moment, Detective Molly was like, she was really disappointed. She's like, you know... I learned a lesson then that until you have all of your ducks in a row, you can't get too excited. But I can understand that. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. They were kind of like making fun of her yeah. for being a rookie. And they said that she jumped the gun. I say jump all the guns. Yeah. Are we jumping guns? I mean, I say don't jump all the guns. Go hard. Go deep. That sounds like a porno. <laughs> I don't know. You give so much good advice. I know. This is terrible. That's fine. Jump the gun. <laughs> what? Yeah. Did that guy look at you funny? Arrest him. Arrest him. What'd I say? He commented on your dress straight to jail. Bring him. <laughs> Get him. Pick him up. I actually was talking to our bestie, Anthony Rakowski, the other day, or today, actually. And I said, if I move to Connecticut, do I automatically get to be sergeant? <laughs> or is there just for like, because I'm fun and know a lot. I mean, he's nothing. like, you will be lucky if they let you walk into the police station, okay? Uh, they got your he number. He said I can go on a ride along with him. <gasps> I, th- I mean, I you just, know. I just want him to lay on top of me. I would love for him to consensually lay on top of me. Just put all of his weight on like me. I think he would be down for that. All in his uniform with all of the... <laughs> Wait, let's call him. Hi there. Hi, honey. Hi, it's me. Hi. Joey has a question for you. Hi, Anthony. How are you? Hi, how are you? Listen, I want to ask you a question, and I I want you to keep in mind that uh, today is the first day of Pride, so tread lightly. Don't be homophobic, Anthony. Don't be homophobic. My question is, is there a world in which you, in your fully clothed, in your uniform, would just lay on top me for a minute? (laughs) Yeah, it's the least I could do. It's the least you could do for gay pride, okay? When July 1st hits, you can be like, forget those homos. But between July... (laughs) But but for the month of June at some point, I just want you to kindly, (laughs) respectfully be an ally. Yeah, be an ally, Anthony. And lay on me for just like 30 seconds. Does that sound right? Yeah, I mean, you don't even need to ask. Wow! (laughs) Tell him he's live on the podcast, by the way. Also, you are live on the podcast, so... Oh, nice. <laughs> you heard it here. For gay pride, if you are gay, Anthony will lay on top of you in his sergeant uniform. Awesome. Okay. Happy pride, Anthony. We love you. Right, take care. <laughs> Bye. Detective Molly was like, obviously this case was still with me, but, you know, other homicides occur. I was forced to divide up my attention. So it was a year before another crime brought her back to this case. Yeah. April 14th, 2007, a 911 call comes in. 911. 
I'm a tow truck driver. I just pulled up onto the scene. I, I can tell okay. you right now it's serious. There's a lot of blood. So they thought it was a hit and run. Yeah. And the woman identified was 37-year-old Charvetia Brown. She was a single mom of two young daughters. And she did not die on the scene, but unfortunately she succumbed to her injuries in the hospital. And then she was brought in for an autopsy and not a hit and run. No, it wasn't. She had been beaten to death with what they knew clearly was a claw hammer. Which I had to look up. It's just a Sorry, hammer. It's a hammer. Okay. It was very violent. And now, of course, the detectives do what they always do. They go to the people closest to Charvetia. So this was covered by two detectives, Rhodes and Courtney, that were not involved in Eileen's attack. And so they go to her ex-husband, of course. Nothing had indicated that they had been in touch or anything like that. So they went ahead and got her story out to as many ears as possible. They got it to the news. The more eyes, the better. And it worked. Yeah, because it turns out that that tow truck driver was not the only one who called the cops. Listen to this 911 call from a witness. We have a very severe beating going on on my street right now. How many people are fighting? Two. That man is beating the crap out of a woman. She is screaming her lungs out. And it was a white vehicle. So when the woman who made this call saw the story on the news and heard the victim had been found near her home, she's like, these have to be connected. Yeah, and that call, this like the screaming in the back, it was just, it was haunting. Yeah. So the two detectives go to the home of that woman who called 911 and they obviously ask more questions. I have questions. Yeah. How did they not connect to similar 911 calls? How did the woman do that work for them? Like how many 911 calls do they get? In Portland, Oregon? I mean, who knows? It's still a major city. I guess they made a whole show about it. So the crime scene had a lot of Charvetia's stuff, stuff that had obviously fallen out of her purse. And then they get another call from a woman by the name of Robin, who actually saw Charvetia the night before. Yeah, that night Robin was walking home when she hears her name and a white truck pulls up. And Charvetia's in the passenger side with a man she didn't know in the driver's seat who introduces himself as Imani or Imani or Imoni. She was unsure. And the man basically propositions her to join him and Charvetia at a local motel. And Robin's like, this is fucking weird. Yeah. And she was like, no, that's okay. I'll pass. And she remembers saying something to Charvetia like, are you okay? And the guy in the car sort of grabbing her hand and Charvetia being like, yeah, I'm okay. She didn't feel right about the interaction, but she just was like, you know, walked home in the rain. So put a pin in that because detectives have a new program that they use for their criminal database. Do you say database or database? Database, database, database. Okay. And it can search for names phonetically, which I think is very smart. I actually downloaded the program. So I was like trying to find words that match with your name. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Joey, Josie, mm-hmm. useless twat. And they were like, Joey. <laughs> I was like, okay, this works. This works. I was waiting for this <laughs> joke. I'm like, we're going to be here for a second. Go on, yo, buzzard with this joke. Joey, Josie, a mean old cut. <laughs> As for Molly Dahl, she's had to move on from Eileen's case. I would work it when I was available to work it. And although she's not thinking about that case every day, it's with her. There's always that information that's there in her mind. Hey, what's going on with your homicide? Oh, uh, we got a real charmer on our hands. We just have to figure out his name now. You got DNA? Yeah, we'll see. 
So here's the thing. Detective Molly is like, look, there's only 10 homicide detectives. We all overhear each other. We all talk. And I heard them say e-money or e-money, and I perked up. She's thinking, Eileen mentioned that name Nani Naji, and they're saying Imani or Imoni. Also, the crimes were similar. All the victims of these cases had head injuries. So they find several Imanis in the database, but there's one Imani who fits the description that Eileen had given her. And this Imani Williams had a record, mm-hmm. a pretty good one, all in Oakland, California. And they were like, okay, could this be it. So they pull up the record and he has no DNA on file, but he had recently committed a burglary, not in the episode, because they say they got his DNA from the crime scene. Yeah, but he had committed crimes in Portland and in Oakland. Yeah, but the DNA that they had collected oh, was, was from, from yeah, was from a, a cigarette butt. Oh. So they called the crime lab and they were like, hi, Molly, what can we do for you? Yeah. Do you have more DNA you need that's going to lead nowhere? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, can you just see if this DNA has been entered? They said it has, but it hasn't been analyzed yet. And the reason is, is that guy's DNA was not a priority. He, you know, he had like minor crimes and there are literally 30,000 other DNA samples in line ahead of this guy to be processed. And we are talking Two years. Two years. She doesn't have two years. Yeah, she's like, can I cut the line for this one? I think I can tie this old crime for this baby girl in Oakland 48 hours the DNA comes I mean, she minored in I will be a thorn in your side. I appreciate it. And guess what? It is a match. It's a match for the shoe that was left behind in Eileen's attack, and it's a match for the DNA found on Evelina LeBlanc back in 1994. Now, the only other thing is they do not have DNA from Charvetia's murder. So now we're dealing with these three cases. They're all obviously separate, but the Imani and the Evelina are the only thing that have the DNA. So Rhodes and Courtney are working together, and they're kind of looking up this Imani Williams. And he's just kind of a guy that didn't really have a steady job, didn't have a steady... He was a drifter. Yeah, he was like a drifter. And they were like, oh, right. Remember that pickup truck that Robin saw him in turned up stolen and abandoned? Yep. And so eventually they use Imani's food stamp card to track him down. He'd been staying in the Old Town area of Portland and they found that sucker and they arrested him. And Detective Molly in Portland calls Detective DaCosta back in San Leandro and said, we got him. Yeah. We need to get a game plan going on who's going to interview him. I know that San Leandro detectives want to get up to Portland and they want to talk to him. But everyone is also aware of a key legal fact. Due to California law, 26-year-old Imani Williams can only face charges in Oregon. Imani can't be prosecuted in the state of California uh, because Imani was a juvenile at the time. But here's the thing. This is actually why I was talking to Anthony today. This man cannot be prosecuted in the state of California because when he raped and killed Evelina, he was 14. 14. I have a lot to say about this. So in the state of California, he could only be locked up till he was 25. So they cannot prosecute Evelina LeBlanc's murder. Yeah. I want to talk about this at the end of the episode because we have a lot to get through. Too much time had passed. And this law has since changed. Oh, I, wow. I will tell you about that. Well, yeah. I, I, my mind immediately goes to Mama Arlene. Mm-hmm. I mean, does she not deserve justice for her child? So now, even though they don't have DNA connecting Amani 
to Charvetia's murder, they have eyewitnesses that connect Imani to her murder as well as that white truck. But what they're really hoping that Imani will confess to Charvetia's murder when they interrogate him. So Rhodes and Courtney interview him. I really wanted to talk to Detective Molly Dahl and ask Mm. why she didn't interview him. She was the rookie. She retired. Inside a Portland interrogation room, detectives question Imani Williams, suspected of committing two brutal murders and a violent assault. Their M.O. is to start slowly, questioning Williams about the truck he was in with Charvetia Brown. You were in a vehicle, you were with two girls. Does that jog your memory at all? I mean, it has to, it has to be familiar. I'm just trying to recall, I was high. Okay. In front. They're sitting down with him and we see this interrogation and he's like, you know, I don't remember what happened that night. I was high and drunk. Hard to remember. Baby, I've been high. You remember everything when you're high. You don't forget shit when you're high. No. And they basically said he was really emotionless and he wasn't defensive. He wasn't angry. They really didn't get much from him at all. Yeah. And at this point, Amani was like, they know something, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what they want. And Amani was like, I want a lawyer. And that shut that shit down real fast. But here's the thing. The San Leandro police, they don't have the restrictions that the Portland police have. And so now it's their turn to interview Amani. Right, because they can't charge him with that murder, but they can try and get some information to the family and and get some closure. And DaCosta was like, he was abnormally relaxed for a man being questioned about a murder. And sadly, they never got that information. He did not give them anything. And they couldn't even figure out if... Amani had had a relationship of any kind, platonic or romantic, with Evelina or any of her friends. So, like, they don't know if this was planned or random. They don't know. But he was really heartless and callous. He had no remorse for anything. And DaCosta said something like, well, what kind of an animal would do that? And he said, well, once an animal, always an animal. And he said it so matter-of-factly. That means that this man has had a penchant for violence since he was a kid. Yeah. I mean, that is... Terrifying. Sadly, neither Eilina or Charvetia's case goes to trial. They give him a plea bargain. And Amani Williams pleads guilty and receives 25 years to life for the murder of Charvetia Brown and another seven and a half years for the attack on Eilina Thompson. So he will have to spend at least 30 years in jail before being eligible for parole. Yeah. And Eilina spoke to him in court. We learned that on the episode. And Mama Arlene calls Molly every year on Evelina's, Evelina's birthday. birthday. And Mama Arlene made a victim impact statement that wasn't in the episode that I found online. And Charvetia's mom was able to make a victim impact statement at her daughter's trial. Yeah. And she said, my daughter meant the world to me. I'm now raising her children. Since you've taken her out of my life, I am living in frozen time. I hope that God will forgive you because I can't. Mm. I can't find the space in my heart to forgive. I can't find it. Yeah. That's okay. Well, other prison records show that he is still incarcerated in Oregon. And that law has been changed since Evelina LeBlanc's murder to give judges a little bit more latitude to decide 
whether people who commit serious crimes as juveniles can be tried as adults if they're captured years later. Yeah. So there was like a recent example that I found online that a 44-year-old man by the name of Stephen Carlson had killed a little girl that was 14 when he was 17. And then he was not tried as an adult. Those laws have since changed in California because I do believe it's a case-by-case basis because that man was 14. And I do believe that obviously our prison system is built for, you know, reentry and not built around helping people. But the fact that that family never got their day in court yeah. to get the justice for their baby is so inherently against everything that is right. Yeah. And I wanted to share a quick story. Opening night of Kinky Boots. Did I ever tell you this story? What? Opening night of Kinky Boots, are literally our opening night, my phone, obviously our phones are blowing up, right? Notifications, texts, Facebooks. And I'm looking at stuff like during intermission. I'm really confused because a bunch of people from high school are like saying things on my Facebook, like an abnormal amount of kids from high school and elementary school for that matter. And the day Kinky Boots opened, one of the boys I grew up with, Quinn Boyer, you can Google it. He was an EMT. He spent his life saving other people's lives, was shot in the head by a little boys doing gang initiation. They were 14 to 17. Oh. Holy shit. And he was on his way to pick up his dad to go to a doctor's appointment. And it was a huge thing in California whether or not these boys should be tried as adults. And I go back and forth because that 14-year-old with Evelina sexually assaulted, raped that little girl, killed people, went on to kill more people. And how many people that he didn't get caught for? Yeah. And I was talking to Anthony about this because I wanted to know about the laws in Connecticut because they're different state by state. Because you know at 14, murder is wrong. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of things, systems that are in place, cycles of abuse, cycles of trauma, you know. But it's like, it's not the fact that he wasn't arrested when he was 14. It's the fact that they just didn't get the day. Yeah. What do you think about that? It's very hard, right? Because obviously this man grew up to be a sociopath. And he is. Like, they say it on the episode. Like, this man is sociopathic. And... I'm not a psychiatrist. You know, I don't know what it's like to diagnose something like that or if you can diagnose that in a 14-year-old boy. You know what I mean? Because for a 14-year-old boy to sexually assault someone and murder them, there's got to be some sort of dissociation there, right? And so it's very complicated because, okay, fine, he's a 14-year-old kid, right? Okay, fine, this 14-year-old kid who maybe was abandoned by his family is being initiated into this gang. They still stole someone's life. They stole perhaps a father, a brother, a son, you know, in Evelina's case, a daughter, a best friend. So it doesn't sit right with me that someone who can go on and be like, well, they murdered other people that you can be like, well, you know what? They grew up and they passed it. No, 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 no. That person should pay for what they did. Should a 14 year old spend their entire life in jail? I'm not qualified to make that statement. I'm not qualified to make that decision. Do I think that they should be under constant psychiatric evaluation? Yes. Because if a 14-year-old is knowingly capable of murdering someone and sexually assaulting them, I don't even want to think what they're capable of at 18, 21, 25. The fact that they did not get justice over a technicality. That guy should absolutely serve time 
in some way, shape, or form for what he did at 14. You because still he's, he's stole... in jail. Yes. But that doesn't give any peace to Mama Arlene. No. Ugh. No, but you still rob someone of their life. Oh, yeah. I was tormented by this all day long today. Yeah. I was really just... It doesn't make it better. It doesn't make her not miss her daughter. But knowing that someone is paying for something wrong that they did, just getting their day in court, just getting to give their victim impact statement, doesn't yeah. matter if it falls on deaf ears. Yeah. It's a tough conversation. And actually, I would love to talk to a psychiatrist about their want, thoughts yeah. on this because I it's very nuanced. Too. It's very nuanced. It is so case by case. Yeah. It really, really is. Because we know somebody who killed their brother. Yes. And that is a very, very nuanced and delicate conversation. It was an accident. The yeah. gun went off. They were kids. But, yeah. you know, every case is different. It's a very, very big conversation. I got very, very invested in Which it Which is why, like, what's the law? Because you can't make a blanket law for that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's, it should be different for kids, though. Yeah. It should be very different. Anyway, say something funny. That's your job. What the, f- what the fuck am I supposed to say now? You know, I no, 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 that's not what I meant by something funny. No, yeah, no, 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 no. You need to hear this. No, I don't. Now, this is something not. Okay. You said this woman's name is Detective Marley. Yeah. I like that name. Okay. Yeah, you know, um, I didn't even tell you this, but I had a lesbian lover. It, you, no, you didn't. It's Gay Pride Month. Yes, Go on, I Bobby know. Lynn. Happy Pride. Okay. Um, and, you know, I loved it when we would make out and, we, you know, when we were uh doing the lickety splits. Yeah, you did the lickety splits? I sure did. Uh, When it was my time, my moment to shine, uh-huh. I would say, Hey, hey, that doesn't... So I like to sp- still here. Thank you for joining us at I Think Not, the podcast where Joey Taranto and I just try and be as vulgar as possible. I'm sorry. Join us on the Patreon. I'm sure you want to. Listen, just give me a pass for this one. This was a very dark episode. This was a really, really hard one. This got me in a place today. But we love you, down bitches. That is why we're here. We are here to laugh and to honor these cases the best way we know how, even when we take the darkness and make it a little light. But we wish all of these families nothing but the best. And these are hard conversations. These are conversations that everybody has a different opinion on. So I hope in our Facebook group we have some conversations about this. Yes, because we are the people. We are jury members. We are people who are electing our local officials. We are people who have a say. So that's what I love about this. And that's actually what I love about the true crime world. Because it really has made people better jury members, savvier voters, savvier citizens. Like, it is an aspect of true crime that I think is really, really good. Yeah, it's true. And I love keeping these conversations going as long as they're respectful. Join our Facebook group and have a say. We are at Obsessed with Disappeared, I Think Not, Discussion podcast group. You see, it ain't easy. And we are on all platforms, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at IThinkNotPod, constantly making absolutely unnecessary content, only there to brighten your day and to make you smile. You make me smile every day. You make me smile, too. And if you're feeling fancy, go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, and you can say something nice about me and something nice about Ellen if you oh, have yeah. I love you, Joey. I love you, too, Yellen. I love you, dumb bitches. We love you, DBs. Bye. Wait, 
Wait, really quickly. So I started a trivia league here in New York years ago. And when the pandemic started, we did Zoom trivia. We hosted it at the same time, Tuesday nights. It was a blast. And one day I didn't mute myself and I thought I muted myself. Okay, Boomer. Thanks, Ellen. Welcome to technology. And about like 200 players heard me go, Mama, you want lasagna? (laughs) To this day, my best friends are like, you want to go get lasagna? It was just the pingiest. You want me He is the Al Bundy of the true crime world. Wait, what? Not Al Bundy. That's not right. Who was the dad on Too Close for Comfort? Monroe. No, not too. Uh, all in the family. Wow. Wow. Hold on. Again, welcome to I Think Not, where we work out our brains right in front of you. He is the Archie Bunker. There he is. Of true crime. And it was a 37 single mom of two by the name of Charvetia Brown. You said a 37. You just said a 37. A 37 year old woman. A 37 year old woman. Wait. A 37 year old single woman. Okay. Let me. Let- <laughs> I enjoyed this. This was retribution for me in so many ways. 